Praise God. This is good. This is good. I'm going to move this bra right here. Um, okay, so uh, welcome again. Uh, we are glad, um, glad you're here. Uh, a, couple of, um, a couple of housekeeping things real quick before we jump into this sermon. Uh, and the first is, um, if you're kind of just joining us this week, then what, what you stepped into is the second week of a five-week series on love. We called it The Shape of Love, and look, we drew a little cool picture to go with that. Um, and, and what we want to do is we want to try to unpack biblically what this idea of love looks like. However, um, I talked about it a lot last week. It's going to be a 30,000-foot level. We're not going to be able to get into everything and every nuance. And so one of the things we want to do is we're going to have a phone number at the bottom of all these slides. So all the slides that will be up here, there will be a phone number, and we would love for you to text questions, questions that we would love for you to interact with this. We think the church, we think specifically this ministry, should be a place uh, where it's okay to disagree. Like, it's okay for, I'm going to say something, maybe in this sermon, I'm almost definitely going to say something in the next sermon that's just going to piss you off, right? And that's okay, and that's all right. God can handle that. We can handle that. Um, you can push back against, well, I don't see it that way, and here's why, and, and we want this to be a safe place for that to happen. Um, and, so, uh, and so we've got that phone number that'll be on the screen, it'll be in the bottom corner. We love just your questions, or if you just feel like, man, you flew too far too fast past a, a major theme that you really want us to get a little bit more nuanced. And then the fifth sermon in the series is just going to be me interacting with those questions. It's going to be looking at all those questions that we gather over four weeks and then really sit down and say, okay, biblically, what can we do with this? And how do we answer this? And how do we practically step into this the best that um, I can? So uh, that's where that phone number is. We want you to be involved. We want you to be engaged. We want you to disagree if you disagree and, um, and, and share your perspective with us. Um, we think that's important. So Here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to recap a little bit of what happened last week, and then we're going to step into kind of this second aspect uh, that shapes love for us, that kind of starts to define a more proper view of what love is. Um, and so last week, what we did was we talked about uh, how we believe, we believe that there is a love that we're designed to experience, that we're designed to receive and to give and to show others and to live in and to live in the world around us. And we believe because of the authority of Scripture. And because we believe this is authoritative and we believe this is a blueprint for our design, that within all of us, there is, there is a shape that we are looking for of love. We're, we're designed for this thing. It's this beautiful thing. The psalmist says, deep calls unto deep. There's this, there's this part of us that is reaching out for what we would call love or, or really God, but God's love specifically as a key characteristic of that. Um, so yes, there is a love that's made available to everyone here. To everyone here, there is this powerful love that we're all designed to experience, but, but that has been hijacked. It's been reduced in what that love really looks like or means or how we're able to wrap our hands around it. Uh, it's been replaced with a counterfeit love um, that isn't what we're designed for and isn't fulfilling and isn't growing. And so we look through the pages of this and we don't want to settle on something but instead, we look and we dig and we say, okay, God, what does your love really look like that we are designed to function in? Um, we have all had people in our life, um, we have all had people in our life that uh, have had God-given opportunities to show us what the love of God looks like, what the love of a heavenly father looks like. Um, we have had those people in our life who have had those opportunities, and so often, I know for people in this room, those opportunities were squandered. 
So maybe you're in this room, and we talked this, about this a little bit last week. Maybe you're in this room, and you have a, a father in your life, an earthly father in your life or mother in your life that definitionally was supposed to kind of developmentally help set you up for your design as a creation of God of what that looks like for a heavenly father to, to love you. And maybe that got skewed. Maybe that got really skewed. And maybe, um, maybe the family structure around you didn't really show you what that was supposed to look like when you were growing up, and so you've searched, and, and the Lord has hopefully generously revealed. And maybe you're here tonight because the Lord wants you to see a little bit more of what his love actually looks like. Uh, maybe you've had friends or family members or part of a community, or you've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I know there are people in here who have been married, and those marriages have dissolved, and all of those relationships had an opportunity to correctly shape love, had an opportunity to say, this is what biblical, real, deep, God-centered love looks like that you're designed for that gives you life and purpose. But instead, you went through some relationships that maybe ended up leaving kind of some scars and some baggage, and so your shape of love is perverted or it's distorted in some way. Um, and that's heartbreaking. Um, the church, the church, and I'm talking generally, the church in America, uh, sadly, I think, I am constantly grieved slash embarrassed slash angered at watching the church, which is supposed to be this body of believers representing to the culture around us, this is what the love of God looks like. And so often we do such a bad job at that. We do a really bad job at that. When we pick it outside abortion clinics, when we just hate on people, when I mean, there are so many things that we do when we, when we instead of showing them the gospel, we just show them the list. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit of what that balance looks like in next sermon real specifically, but um, the church maybe has, maybe the church for you, maybe you have been around Christians who have really misrepresented, you didn't know it was a misrepresentation, but the God that they said they represented, you saw their lifestyle and you saw their attitude and posture and their... And you said, no way. If that's the God they follow, no way. And maybe that has shaped love for you in some ways. Um, and, then even, uh, and then even our view personally of God. Man, leave, the, leave all of us hypocritical Christians out of it. Um, man, just your worldview, potentially. Uh, you've seen tragedy and disaster and some things maybe in your personal life and maybe somewhere in there, your worldview of attributing some of that to God and trying to justify how could a loving God who is in control allow this to happen? And so you've come up with a framework and, and by no fault of your own, have a framework where the love of God is being shaped by how you perceive these disasters in your own personal life or in the world around you. So furthermore, we have also shaped that perspective in other people's lives. Um, we also are not just the victims on the side of, man, we've all been surrounded by bad witnesses and, and bad Christians and, and churches that you know, blew up abortion clinics and you know, had signs that say God hates fags and all of those horribly hateful, hateful things that are not from God but actually belong in hell, all of those things. It, not just that, we're also, we're also a part of that. We have also had opportunities that we have squandered. We're not just the victims in this. We've got responsibility to go and to shape and to figure out what it looks like to really love deeply and truly and honestly. And so that's why this series. Um, so last week we teased out this one aspect uh, of love, and it really pushed against the lie that love is this feelings-based thing, right? Uh, I made fun of The Bachelor <laughs> because that show sucks. 
Um, made fun of that show. Uh, but really, let's be honest, um, it's just the guy, man. It's just the guy. It just weirds me out every time he talks. Um, uh, and then there's the crazy girl with the blonde hair. What's her name? Corinne. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, anyway, anyway. The point is, the show's evil. Um, and, uh, and, and really, let's be honest, all of pop culture, anything in our pop culture that has tried to define love for us, anything in our pop culture that said, man, this is a love story, I would say is going to lean in this idea that there is a feelings-based, emotion-driven desire. I've got to find the one. I've got to find the one in this, in this haystack, and I've got to find the one for me that, that is just perfectly compatible that I have the, those love feelings with that will be forever and will ride off into the sunset. Um, and that's a lie that we have seen biblically. We've seen, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Now, we don't disregard that feelings are a part of love, but we've somehow gotten so entrenched and drowned in feelings in our culture that we've overemphasized it in a way that makes it what is probably the most shallow aspect of love, which is feelings. It's important. It's a part of it. But we have made that the main thing. It's, it's all icing and no cake. It's all froth and no cappuccino. You're with me, right? It's this feelings-based platform that we built for love where we've got to find the one. Am I falling in love? And it's all emotional driven. And then we wonder why this cycle of, oh, man, I think this is the one. And then the, the cycle of disillusionment, well, no, nah, I'm not in. Oh, no, wait, this is the one. And we search and we search and we search. And then maybe if you never mature out of that mindset, maybe you just settle. Maybe you just make it to the altar and, and then you get to the altar before the feelings have worn off, but then maybe 10 years down the line they do, and maybe you just stick to it because you get health benefits, and maybe, who knows what that looks like, right? Okay. We, uh, we are definitely searching uh, for that, and the feelings is not our foundation, what we talked about last week. Instead of feelings, though, remember, instead of feelings, we said there's something, a, a more proper adjective to really define this. And that was this idea that love is action, that there's struggle in love, that love is this action, that our actions and deeds and lifestyles and attitudes will actually validate for us true and deep and, and biblically deep love. And it's an awesome thing. And, uh, you know, and so we've got to figure out how to validate this. Uh, we are on this journey, I would say, to really wrap our hands around what is this actual picture of love. And the reality is, and I admitted it last week and I'll admit it every week, I am so far from arriving. I don't want to stand up here as a guy who's, oh, I've, I've mastered it and now I'm going to Yoda all you guys and maybe we'll get to my level. I'm a man, a 34-year-old pastor who loves the Lord, but man, I, I still have so much more to wrap my brain around in how to love him and how he loves me. I'm a man who's been married for 10 years, almost 10 years, and, and I still have so many, so, so much more uh, depth of maturity and how to love my wife or how to love my two sons and all those things. And so um, that's this journey we're on, and yet we're trying to get to the true end of it. I'm going to tell you a story. Have I told you a story about my road trip to Mount Rushmore? Okay, Josh says no, which means Josh hasn't heard it, which means you're all stuck hearing it. Um, so, uh, so I was going, uh, I did a road trip. This was in my like, early 20s, and me and my buddy were like, hey, let's take a road trip, because that's what you do when you don't really have a real job or any life purpose. <clears throat> So we were like, great, yeah, you know, right, you know. Um, road trip, where are we going? I don't know, man, but I got a full tank of gas. All right, let's go. So we just started driving north, and we were like, let's go to Colorado. Okay, cool. So we started driving to Colorado, and before we got out of Texas, we decided our plan would be, let's go to Mount Rushmore. 
Never been there, never seen that. We think that's north of us, so let's just keep driving all the way up to Mount Rushmore. And it was like a two-day journey, right? We didn't really pack anything. We didn't come prepared. Literally, we were playing Frisbee one night. It was on a Sunday night. We were playing Ultimate Frisbee, and, and we were like hanging out after the game, and we were like, dude, like neither of us had jobs. We're not adults. We're just like this weird adolescent stage in our life as young 20-year-olds. And we are like, yeah, let's go. So we end up just, we, we just drive through the night. We end up sleeping in the back of his truck in uh, somebody's driveway uh, for a period of time. Uh, we get like attacked by wild dogs, right? There's like a dragon that attacks us one time. The point is, the, the point is I want to illustrate that it was a crazy journey, right? It was a crazy journey. There were like, there were, like um, hobbits that like tried to stop us with spears and we made it through this bridge and there was lava. We get, we get to South Dakota, right? We get to this spot right before Mount Rushmore. And it's about two days into this journey. And I just want to make sure you know, there wasn't really hobbits and that kind of stuff, but the point was, it was, it was, it was long, right? It was long. We only had a, the only CD we had was a Bon Jovi's Greatest Hits CD. No joke, it really was. Uh, and this was like back in the day. I didn't have an iPhone. We didn't, that thing didn't exist. So, um, so yeah, so we just listened to a lot of Bon Jovi. That sucked. Um, <laughs> So we get to this place, and we're eating, uh, we're eating lunch at this, like, cafe thing that's literally kind of the last little touristy stop that's, like, kind of known for, like, Mount Rushmore tourists, and then just kind of right over the hill, I'm assuming, was Mount Rushmore, and you pay your thing, and you go, and you park your car, and you walk up, and you take your picture. And we're sitting there eating lunch at kind of our last stop before we're at Mount Rushmore. <laughs> how, how cool. What great hipsters we are. We're just taking a road trip. Um, and we start, started talking at lunch. We're like, how funny would it be? if we just turned around and went back. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So we turned around and we just went back. <laughs> we really did. I have never actually been to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> but I drove two days through lava and dragons and hobbits in order to get to the lunch spot right south of where it was, and we stopped and we were like, dude, that would be so much funnier if we told people that we almost got there and then we turned around and went back, and we really did. <laughs> And then we just drove straight back all the way and just exchanged drivers and just slept and we didn't stop anymore and we got home. We were like, we didn't actually go all the way. And people were like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> Which is true. Um, but here, here, is what, uh, here is what we're doing, right? All that to say, all that to say, um, man, to live your life, right? To live your life and to not explore and go down this road to get to Father, tell me what real love looks like. Father, let me experience real and deep and true and changing love. If I'm truly designed for this, if the blueprint of your word calls me to be designed for a love of God that's changing and transforming, and then to live a life that shows it and reflects it to others, how tragic would it be? How tragic would it be if you wake up in your 70s and you look back and you just think, I missed it. I totally missed it. I chased comfort and money and success and whatever the world told me was valuable and I chased what their definition of what I needed to validate myself and I missed it and I missed out on the love of God in a transforming way. And I, I wasted my life. And maybe it was a good life and it was a fun life, but it wasn't a life rooted in the love of God in which I would make the argument is a wasted life because that is what we're designed to abide in. So how tragic if we almost get there and then just stop and turn around. That is the importance of what we're doing. That's why we're doing this. And I, I want that to be an honest challenge for you to say, okay, 
I mean, when this sermon is over, I'm going to still chase after the Lord. I'm going to continue to seek him in the non-Wednesday night sections of my life and in the non-Sunday morning sections of my life. And I'm going to continue to search after what this looks like because I don't want to end up at the end of my life thinking, man, what did I chase? That was so non-fulfilling. That's not what I was designed for. Okay, so this week, the big picture, big direction, the big uh, component that we're going to talk about in the shape of love. If last week was action, as, a, as an adjective that defines correct love, this week it's covenant. It's the idea that love, true biblically deep love, should have within it a component of a covenant. I'm going to explain what that means. Uh, just about every wedding I, have, I do, um, I always somewhere in there sneak something in there about how uh, the difference between a contract and a covenant. And I do that at weddings because that's when you're supposed to talk about love and the importance of it and all that kind of thing, and it's cute, and it's already rewritten. I can just copy and paste it. Um, But uh, I I do that because that's what we're called to be as believers. We're called to be in a covenant. And in a covenant, it's it's unbreakable. It's, It's this idea that you're in no matter what. Whereas a contract... Right, you're going to see a contract as, well, that's a 50-50, that's a give or take, that's a, you keep your end of the bargain, and I'll keep my end of the bargain. So specifically, you apply that to a marriage, if you step into a marriage saying, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to meet you halfway, and just as long as you do your stuff, and you keep hitting the gym, and I do my stuff, and keep making money, then we're going to be fine, right? And it becomes this really, and we value different things, and maybe it's this, and maybe it's, maybe it's appearance, and maybe it's money, and maybe it's time spent, and quality time, and maybe it's feelings, just as long as we both have... And it's this contract that gets messy. Um, and yet that is what, that's the lie. Uh, the truth is we are called to be in a covenant love. And so I want to show us biblically what I mean when I talk about God's covenant love for us. Um, in Exodus, uh, we're going to go throw up Exodus 34. So in Exodus is the story of God's people. They're enslaved in Egypt. They get out of Egypt. God gets them out, and Moses comes, and there's all these plagues, and the, river, the, the sea parts. They walk across it, and they get free, finally, from the slavery of Egypt. And God's people as a whole are now in the desert, and God calls Moses up onto a mountain. And God is basically having his marriage ceremony with these people. And God in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, is saying, here is what is going to happen. I'm going to love you, and because of my love, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. Not a contract, not a you do your part, and I'm going to do my part and give you heaven and give you blessings, but a covenant with you. So Exodus 34, 6, Moses is standing there before the Lord, and this is what happens. The Lord passes before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and, listen to this, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness. He's defining his love. God is defining his love as this love that's connected to his covenant, and it's a steadfast love. And so then look down at verse 10, and he said, God said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is a marriage of God and his people. He's basing this marriage covenant off of this idea of steadfast love. His, God's steadfast love is the foundation of his covenant with Israel. It's his, his foundation of his covenant with us throughout history, throughout the Bible. Um, and they abandoned him, right? The Israelites abandoned him. Uh, he makes this covenant, ironically enough, 
Moses comes off the mountain after the marriage ceremony, essentially the honeymoon night, and walks down to God's people who have just entered into a covenant with the Lord, and all of God's people are down there, some of you remember the story, worshiping the golden calf, and they're all like partying, and it's this just debauchery. They've already cheated on their God. And then throughout the history of the whole first half of the Bible, the whole Old Testament, we see God's people start to follow God and then see something shiny and walk over here and totally forget and abandon and betray and cheat on the God who has rescued them time and time again. And yet we see God's steadfast love constantly. We see it constantly throughout it. And it's not that God is dutifully bound, right? It's not that he's dutifully bound to be in a relationship with them where God's like, oh, man, golly, these guys are idiots. But I made that covenant back there with Moses, and I got to be a man of my word. I'm going to stick with it. God is not dutifully bound because he made a covenant. Entrenched within that covenant from the very beginning was his love. His love has always been the foundation of that. It never changed. It never changed. Don't think of it as God's promises are being held by a rope. And, and sometimes, man, we just really put a lot of tension on that rope, and it just seems like it's going to snap, and we're going to lose all the promises. But we're just hoping that God's, God's promise and God's steadfast love is a strong enough rope. Think of God's steadfast love. Instead of a rope that might or might not break, but you, it's pretty confident, but eh, it could, think of it as a concrete slab that those blessings are sitting on. Think of it as as a concrete slab where there's steadfastness to his love. That is such an important, important aspect for us to wrap our brains around and then apply. Um, Yeah, this this steadfastness also, uh, we um, we see it in the New Testament as well. Look at this. Uh, actually, no, let me, let me show you where the people respond. So the people in the Old Testament, they see it and they respond like crazy. They're constantly praising God for this. So Psalm 118, one through four says this. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, it says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Did you catch that? His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, they say about their God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And then one more. And there's a hundred of these all throughout the Old Testament. I'm just showing you three. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, this is beautiful. Look at the people in the Old Testament, how they're responding to the love they're receiving from God. This is what they say. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities, sin, our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Um, and the, the Hebrew word there is this word. I'm going to go totally Jewish on you guys. Uh, it's this word chesad. Right? Is that good? Right? Good? It's like if you're about to like kiss your girl. If you don't have a girl. I'm sorry I brought that up. But if you're about to like kiss a girl and you just say, I chesad you. Right? It just it gets your emotions going. Try it later. Try it. 
Try it in the afterward. You don't even need to know the girl. Just go up to her and say it. Um, that would suck. You would, you would get charges pressed against you, just FYI. Okay, New Testament, right? So this word, this chesed, this hasad word, this, it means steadfast love all throughout the Old Testament. It's used time and time and time again. The word love in English, it's just, it ha- we have to wrap our brains around it. It has to be such a deeper word than that. And so we see this steadfastness as a major characteristic to the shape of true biblical love. But look at the New Testament, man. I love this. Romans 8, 35 through 39. This is what Paul, the writer of Romans, says to us, his people, those who are followers of him. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you hear that? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Gosh, I wish we really believed that. I wish I really believed that. So this big idea. True, biblically deep love is revealed and it's validated by a characteristic of steadfastness. If there's not steadfastness to our love or to the love we see, then it's going to invalidate. It's going to reveal it as less than mature at the very least. And at the most, it's going to reveal it as just a straight lie. It's the foundation of God's love. And as we grow in our understanding of that, it really should change everything. As we grow in our understanding of what that means to have steadfast love, it should change everything. It never runs out. And if that's true, and if we're called to be loved and to love others with that kind of love, it changes everything. Now, here's um, two implications before I just spend the rest of the time on how does this apply? How does this apply to our life, this concept of the steadfastness? Two implications of if this is true. Um, one, um, one, if it's true that that steadfastness is, is part of the foundation of what love should be, um, then that's scary. That makes it a little scarier for us um, in some ways. And here's what I mean. Um, if you're scared of getting hurt, there's a level of vulnerability to that because no longer is love just a feeling that you can fall in and out of and kind of protect yourself. All of a sudden, love is, love is this deep, deep commitment. And so in that way, through that lens, it's like, well, wait a second. Maybe I want to stick with the shallow love. And I want you to stay with me. And if you're in that place and you think, ah, this kind of love makes me nervous. Giving my heart in this kind of way to God or being loved this way or, or it being applied in a community of other people and being known and, and all that, I just would rather just stay at a distance and kind of protect myself and come and go when I please. Just stay, stay with me. Secondly, though, a second implica- implication is that if this is true, then it means that love like real, full, deep biblical love, it means it's actually more about the lover than the object being loved. If it's true that foundationally steadfast, the hesed love of God should be a part intrinsically in our love, then it means it's actually more about the lover than the actual thing being loved. And so what it does is it pushes against the idea of, of our search for the one romantically. We say, oh, well, man, I don't know if this person is right. Well, really... It's about are you mature enough to be able to love them? 
Do you have a depth of love to be able to love them? And less about, well, I don't know if this person is worthy object of my love. Think about that in our relationship with God. Think about that in the Old Testament. The people of God who constantly betrayed God, thank God, praise God, that his love for us is not based on anything on us because we're not worthy of it. Like my life, and I'm like paid to be like a good guy, and my life is far from worthy of the love of God, right? And yet he loves me, and so my relationship with him and the relationship and the covenant relationship we have is based on how loving he is. And then I just get to respond to that. And so if the implications of steadfastness have to be entrenched, then what that does is it puts the burden more on are we mature enough to love others the way we're called to? Not just romantically, but in community. Are we encouraged and, and able and mature enough to love outsiders and people who don't look like us, people who don't act like us? And uh, Are we able to love God in that way? Are we able to love and show grace and uh, all of that to the people around us. So um, let's see what this looks like in application. There's three categories of application I want us to talk about, of applying this kind of love in three places. One is kind of the community, family, friends sphere. What does that look like? The second is romantically. What does that really look like in the dating world and all of that? What's that look like to apply there? How's that gonna show up? And then third is in, our, in regards to God. To God and from God, what is, how is that really gonna play itself out? And remember that that word love, um, it has so many different meanings, right? It's, it can be applied in so many different ways, so many different aspects of our world. But I think it's important to remember that it, it should be applied fully and as deeply as possible to every aspect of our life, applied to every aspect of our life. If you just applied kind of this concept of love to maybe just dating relationships or engagement and that kind of thing, but you didn't apply it to maybe biblical community, it's like, well, yeah, I get it. That's, that's how you're supposed to like pursue a girl or be pursued by a guy, and that's what that's supposed to look like, this kind of steadfastness. But then you have this glaring immaturity of the way you function in community is really immature because you just kind of bounce in and out, and you, you, there's no steadfastness to your love there. Or maybe you're great in community. Maybe in biblical community, it's like, man, I love this. This is life-giving. I want to be around people. I, I love this. I'm, I'm in. I'm faithful. I'm steadfast. But then when the music fades and the, the crowd dissipates, you struggle to have any sort of meaningful, real relationship with the God of the universe in any sort of personal, tangible way. Hey, get me back in the big group, get me back with the music going, and get me in that setting and in the home group, and I'll, I'll talk about the things of God, but man, one-on-one -on -one with God, man, I, that, I don't know how to do that. I'm gonna be in and out of that. Um, so we apply this to all three of these areas, um, and, we, and we should be applying deeply. So first, apply to community. How do we apply this to the community around us, um, that's friends, it's family, workplace, all that kind of stuff. Um, next week's sermon, just so you know, is going to really zoom in on this idea. It's going to really zoom in on this idea. But I, I want us to see that there is a shallowness in our love for each other um, that really should probably embar embarrass us in some ways. Uh, but instead, we use feelings to justify it. And here's what I mean. If we step into community with feelings-based community, and we step and we say, man, I really like these people and they're fun, this, is, this feels good. And then we just bounce whenever it no longer feels good. Then we've settled for something far less. We've settled for something far less than we're designed. Here's another uh, indicator. If everyone in your community, if everyone in your world right now are people you like, like they're people you get along with, you like, and I don't mean like a coworker that you're required to work with. I mean like people in your selected community that you do life with intentionally, 
and they all look like you, that should be a red flag for us, right? If we don't have an awkward McGee in our crew, then there's something wrong, right? If we all look alike, well, then there's no actual deep love that's joining us together in any kind of steadfast way. It's just, yeah, we all get along, and we all like the same things, and we all have the same common interests, and we all look the same. That's shallow. That's settling for something way less in biblical community, or we bounce from place to place to place. Um, Man, find people who know you and love you, and then be steadfast in those relationships. Find people that know you and love you and then be steadfast and see what God does in your life. I challenge you. Find people who know you and love you and then stick with them and see what God does. And not, and not see what God does overnight. That defeats the purpose. See what God does over the next couple of years. Get plugged in. Okay, apply this to a romantic relationship. I want to go quickly here. How do we apply this to a romantic relationship? Um, the steadfastness of God, and we've alluded to it a lot, the idea of covenant and contract in a marriage. It's not about this, uh, this give and take. It's this covenant. Um, yes. So um, I talked about it last week. When I was dating Danielle, my wife, it really got to a point pretty early when I was telling her I love her. And I, I think I maybe said this to her. I'm not sure. But I, I think I said something like, hey, um, we're either going to get married or you're going like, to have to put a restraining order against me. Like, it was going to be like, one or the other. Like, it's going to go really like, creepy illegal or it's going to be like marriage, yes. Because I had gotten to that place where it's like, man, this is the girl I'm, I'm sold on. Now, hang on. Let me justify that for Stalker McStalkerson in this room. Okay? You can't just, you can't just, you, okay, don't apply the sermon and think, you know what? I heard a sermon one time. Where if I love someone with this true, deep, biblical, steadfast love, I'll just go up to him and I love you and it is steadfast and I'm going to be outside your window every night. <laughs> I'm Barry, by the way. And she's like, what? Right? There's nobody in here named Barry, right? I figured that was a safe name. Um, so, right? Like, it, it's a covenant is going to require two people to enter into that, right? So, so if you say, but I have this hesed love for this person, you know, but she's never entered into that covenant, well, then there's a, there's a problem there, right? Then that just makes you a stalker, right, and not actual uh, into, into any kind of loving relationship. But that is what we should shoot for and, and move towards. I, I tell my wife this um, a lot. I think if there's any, like, screenwriters or, like, people in the industry, I think we need to see the, the romantic comedy that isn't just, like, the young, like, healthy, energetic Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone ride off into the woods on a horse together, right? What we need to see is we need to see what happens after that, man. We want to see the love story that happens after that. And so when I was in my 20s and I was getting married to my wife, I was like, hey, I love, at least I want to, the design of my love, part of, only because biblically this is what the Lord is teaching us, I, I love the saggy, old, wrinkled version of you. And my wife is hot, right? And so that works out great for me now, and it worked out great for me. For the last 10 years, that's been awesome, right? But one day, I recognize that my wife will probably, Lord willing, be saggy and wrinkly and like yellow teeth and that kind of stuff, right? (laughs) And let me tell you, let me tell you, I don't know where she is. I'm trying to feel where she is. Oh, yeah, got her. Um, (laughs) Let me tell you. That, that should be the most beautiful thing in the world, man. That should be the most beautiful thing in the world. The version that you are pursuing this person in, the person that you might be pursuing or are being pursued, they're going to change anyway. And so to have a deep, biblical, chesed kind of love, a steadfast love, say, man, I am marrying that version of you. 
I'm marrying the version that's not just, I'm marrying all of that, this steadfast platform of love and pursuit, and that kind of romance is, it's not, that's not our idea, that's not, you know, savvy, like, oh, that's a really great idea, that'll make a great Hallmark color. No, that's what he says about it. That's how he defines what biblical love should look like, to say, man, I want that, which includes, and, and my wife is honestly the one who's the more mature lover because she got stuck with me. Like, I got her, but she got stuck with me and all of my sin and imperfections and, and all of my selfishness and all of that, and yet she faithfully loves me. And so romantically, what it, how it plays out is just that. Um, it plays out in a way where we should be pursuing somebody, not for necessarily who they are now, but for who they are and who they're going to be, and versions of them that we may never know, and versions of them that they might not look this way or act this way or their personality might change. <clears throat> and, uh, and I know this is salt in the wound for some of you guys, and I love you guys and girls. I know this is salt in the wound because I, I really I know some of the men in this room. Um, and I'm going off script here for a second, but uh, I know you guys get that. And I know some of you girls get that, and you want that, and you're asking the Lord faithfully for that, and you're like, come on, man, I, yes. I want to love a woman that way. So first of all, ladies, give them a shot, right? <laughs> Secondly, and guys, don't blow it, all right? I just, I just gave you props. Love them well. Love them maturely. Do that. Um, but also on the girl's side, man, I want somebody who pursues me like that. Don't settle. Don't settle for that and look for that and be in the right pond of people and continue that and trust the Lord. And that's so easy for me to say and it's so trite and... I get it. Stick with us through this series, too. I think we're going to get real practical in that last week on specifically, okay, how does this work, and how do, I, how do I move out of this category to actually starting to apply this romantically? So um, I just want you to know, I, I hear some of y'all's pain in here, and, and I'm proud of you, and I'm, I'm amazed at you, and I glorify God for your faithfulness and your wisdom and your desire to do that. I believe God's going to bless you in some neat ways because of it. I know he will. Um, okay, so last thing, last way we're going to apply this is we're going to apply this to our relationship with God and to God. To be honest, um, steadfast love um, in how this works with God, um, this is really hard. In how it works for me to love God with that kind of love, uh, I am bad at it. I'm bad at it. Um, uh, my joy and satisfaction in the Lord is so entrenched in my circumstances. And I'm constantly, I'm, that's constantly being revealed to me. This idea that, my circumstances are really what's propping up my joy and satisfaction in the Lord. And if you mess with those circumstances or I have a bad day at work or whatever, then all of a sudden it's all oh, the sky is falling. And so all of a sudden it's not on this foundation of my faithful pursuit and my worship and my dedication to the Lord. Um, it's, it's really just my circumstances because I'm shallow and I'm wrestling and I'm trying to get that deeper. And so here's, I know I'm supposed to give you the how-to. How do I love God that way? Get me there. Give me the three steps to love God that way. Here's the only way. Here's the only way I know how to do this. Stare and meditate and understand and dig in and stare some more at how God loves you. And then go back to it and stare some more at God's love for you. And then open up his book and read more about it. And then surround yourself with people who understand it and who are seeing glimpses of it. And surround yourself with those people who are talking about it. And then stare some more at the way that the God of the universe loves you. Stare at that, meditate, worship that, fall in love with how he loves you. That is our only hope. That is our only hope. There's not three steps to love God better. It's 
recognize how he loved you. Recognize the gospel, that we were sinners and far from God, and yet Jesus, the perfect one, came, the Son of God, died for us, hung on a cross, rose again, and for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, all of our trash and sin and brokenness gets put on him, and we get, we get clean robes, and we were red as scarlet and stained, and now we're white as snow, we're new creations. And that is because a God loved us enough to do that. Stare at the gospel. Stare at his word. Fall more and more in love with God. And that's our hope for any of these categories. Any of these categories of application, they all come from the root place of, do I know how I'm loved? And then you just respond to it. Do I know my identity? Do I know how I'm loved by the God of the universe so steadfastly? I've not gone too far. I've not ruined it. I didn't, I didn't blow it on the checklist of do's and don'ts. God still loves me and is pursuing me, and he's calling me, yes, to, to more righteousness and to more obedience, but he loves me right where I'm at. Stare at that love and be changed by that love, and that's how you love the awkward guy who it's hard to love. That's how you love the people who you don't want to love. That's how you love relationally. That's how you respond in love. That's where our worship comes from from looking at that love. Um, the band's uh, gonna come on back up here on the stage. Um, not sure if I have time for this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, if, you, if you are in the place tonight and you think, that's great. That's great for somebody else. That's neat. That's really good and sentimental. Um, and, and, and yet I'm unchanged by that. And yet the real lie you're believing is I've gone too far. And the real lie is, yeah, okay, great, bunch of Christians, they talk about that and they've worked their way to that spot, but the reality is you feel, no, not me, I've gone too far. And there's this story, there's a story I want to tell you, if that's you, if you think you've ruined it. <clears throat> it's about a prophet named Hosea. And Hosea was called to marry a prostitute. If you've been around me long, it's one of my favorite books, so I talk about it all the time. But he's called to marry this prostitute, and he marries this prostitute because God says, I want you to love this whore because that's how I love my people, even though they cheat on me constantly. And so Hosea's like, oh, gosh, really? Okay, and he marries her, and they have children, and then she leaves. She, she has children with other men, and then she abandons this one man who's a prophet who's loving her and bringing her into a real home and providing for her, and she goes back to the whorehouse. And she gets used up and used up and used up so much so that she's no longer any good to be a prostitute, and so now she's just a slave, and she's being sold at an auction as just a slave. And Hosea shows up there and says, I'm buying her. And he says, that is mine. That is my girl. And he gives his silver, and he says he gives his barley because he didn't have enough money, and he's like, that is mine. I'm chasing her down, and I'm loving her. If you are in here and you believe the lie that you've gone too far or ruined yourself in some way, and that no way could God love me. That's a lie, and that is not from him. And all throughout scripture, we see time and time again, God chase us down in our brokenness and find us where we shouldn't be, where we don't belong, and calls us back. Now, will we be changed by his steadfast love so that we could respond? Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for loving us, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Would it not be trite? Would it not become cliche, Lord, would we fight and wrestle and grasp and wrap our arms around the kind of love that you have for us? 
tonight, Lord, would we hear your gospel? Would we hear your love? Would we see it in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? And would we be moved by it? Would we see this God who never changes and is so faithful and consistent with us? And would that inspire us to, Lord, lay our lives down? And for my friends who've never done that in this room and who have maybe thought that Christianity and following you is this rules or play the game, God, would tonight they be moved by the love of God to repent, Lord, and turn their life over to you and stop running from you. And for all of us, Lord, we all need to go deeper here. Every one of us, God, break us of our self-righteousness, break us of our apathy for your love. We should be moved by it. We should be changed by it. Do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.